You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 67. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're having a great week. You probably recognize by now how important the concept of quality in herbs and spices is. Maybe it's the pharmacist in me, or maybe it's this desire to employ only the best materials with respect and care they deserve. You've met a number of guests on this podcast who share this sentiment. Today, I want to take you a step further. Let me introduce you to someone whose passion ensures that the herbs you purchase meet all the necessary criteria of quality. My today's guest is a chief operations officer of one of my favorite herbal companies, Mountain Rose Herbs. Her name is Jennifer Garrity. Jennifer's passion for plants and herbal medicine began during her childhood, taking her to Rutgers University during her college years, where she received a degree in plant science, specializing in plant propagation and agribusiness management. Some of her interests and research at that time and upon her graduation included tropical agriculture, bioremediation, and tissue cultures. Jennifer's love of plants eventually brought her to Oregon, where she lives now, working for Mountain Rose Herbs. Over the years, Jennifer served as a director of human resources, operations manager, and growing into the role of executive director of operations. She oversees the staff and production of this vibrant, ever-expanding company. In addition, Jennifer takes special interest in procuring high-quality organic herbs, spices, and teas. Through local, national, and international travel, Jennifer is able to collaborate and build relationships with farms worldwide. Later today, she will talk about some of her experiences and some of her projects that she has been involved in. I am super excited about this conversation and hope that by the end of the episode, you'll understand the inner workings of an amazing company and become a better consumer as a result. I also have a special surprise for you today. Mountain Rose Herbs was very gracious in supporting the work done through Wellness Insider Network. They kindly offered two $50 gift certificates for shopping on their site. To get enrolled into a raffle for the gift certificates, please head over to your podcast platform of choice, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and write a review for the Wellness Insider Network. This is the best way for us to spread the word about this podcast. Take a screenshot of your review and send it to support at lanacamille.com and I will randomly select two winners in a couple of weeks. As always, you can find links and additional information in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 67. Enjoy. 
Hello, Jennifer. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I am very happy to have you here and so excited about our conversation. Mm -hmm. So as we begin, could you tell us a little bit about your personal interest in herbs and herbal medicine? Well, it really goes back my entire life. I, I truly believe I was born into the botanical world. I was really interested in plants at a very young age and really lucky to grow up in a rural environment um, on the East Coast with lots with a, a large amount of biodiversity in the area. So, I mean, from a very young age, I was out picking my own teas and drying herbs and um, looking them up in the Peterson Field Guides and just setting as much as I could. So, I had a strong in interest um, pretty much from the time that, you know, I was exploring the woods and forests, and that really continued all through high school. Um, I actually won my high school um, science fair project with a display of medicinal herbs from my own yard, and that were really well-researched, and I wrote, you know, a profile and a materia medica about each one, and then That's I went so to call cool. it. It was, I wish I still had the display. Yes. Because who knew, right? Yes. Um, but then I went to college for plant science. I went to Rutgers University with a focus on plant propagation and horticulture okay. and agribusiness management. And that really broadened my awareness to all the different avenues that you can go in with horticulture. And through my professors at Rutgers, I realized that there was an entire um, field field dedicated to to the medicinal sciences and to medicinal plants and from then I began researching a lot of the big names at the time and just reading as much as I could so mm -hmm. and I was put into contact networked well with a lot of plant people and you know my interest just really grew from there and I will say always since a young age I had a very esoteric interest so a lot of my large um, influencers were like Scott Cunningham and Paul Barrell and some of the more um, esoteric writers at the time that I was lucky enough to have books from at a very young age. So um, that really perked my interest because they really covered a lot of the, the, the more obscure medicinals um, from around the world. And I always strive to collect those. And I was really into pharmacy history and old pharmacy bottles and researching the names on them. And I still am. And and have a pretty abundant collection. So it's been a lifelong pursuit for sure. Very interesting. So how does East Coast Girl ends up on the West Coast and yeah. Mountain Rose Herbs? Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things of, you know, wanting greener pastures and really feeling, uh, feeling that there was a lot more opportunity in organics out on the West Coast than there possibly is on the East Coast. But the experiences I had in New Jersey... Um, as far as agriculture and working on farms really um, gave me the foundation mm -hmm. that I needed to branch out and learn a lot about farming on this scale with, with some of the aromatic crops that we deal with. So um, I, I just really, you know, I was aware that there was a lot more going on with medicinal herbs on the West Coast and there's um, just a lot more events and opportunities in agriculture and horticulture here. So I took a leap and just moved out here and um, things blossomed from there. Fabulous. So tell us a little bit about your company. Uh, so Mountain Rose Herbs, how did the company start? Why is mm -hmm. it called Mountain Rose Herbs? Uh, what were the initial vision and goals and how did they evolve <laughs> over time? Sure. Yeah. So it, it did begin. Um, it was a, the, the brainchild of Rosemary Gladstar, 
the um, Rosemary, of course, being the grandfather, grandmother of, of uh, herbal medicine in the United States. And she had her school at the time in California. So um, she began this small company as, as a, a mailing list for her students to get high quality herbs. And it quickly grew from that. Um, a woman named Rose Madrone purchased that that list and that small company from her, and that's what the, who the company was actually named after. Rose Madrone, um, she she considered herself the the Rose of the Mountain, mm-hmm. I believe, and so that's where her. So she named the company Mountain Rose Herbs. She had it for a very short period of time, just a few years, and then she moved on to other pursuits and sold the company to Julie Bailey, who's our current president. And um, Julie took it over and grew the company from her own home. Um, And she continued to source from the same quality farmers that Rosemary did and that Rose Madrone did, and then just continued to kind of network with other growers and producers in the the West Coast and and beyond. and grew the 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 um the customer list at that time, so it was really small and it stayed small for for quite a while. Um, it was a, a home based business where she um, would have the herbs delivered and then shipped out of a small shipping department, packaged. And it really wasn't until 1999 when we got our website set up and got put online, and then we became certified organic, and then taking on larger uh, larger product lines, such as the oils and essential oils and things like that. That is so interesting. I was trying to determine when was the first time that I actually got introduced to Mountain Rose Herbs, and I thought it was one of the conferences. It was probably International Herb Symposiums, but in reality, I really started purchasing from you when I started taking classes with Rosemary Gladstar, and Uh so I remember how she said, well, this is the place where you get your herbs, so now all the dots are connecting, at least in my mind, and it all makes (laughs) sense now, so that's fabulous. So you mentioned that um, once you went online that you started carrying uh, different uh, types of products. Can you tell mm-hmm. us what, as a, as a company, what do you carry today? What are some of the categories of products that you sell? Absolutely. I'd be happy to. Our, our main focus has always been the bulk, organic, dried botanicals. And we've always strived and continue to, will continue to strive to offer a vast array of them. Um, so we have a large selection and we select for our high quality. And out of those, we, we started blending our own tea blends and also spice blends. So we offer a full line of herbal tea blends that we blend in house from our herbs, as well as like a, as a culinary line of spice blends. Um, and then it really became the, the, the mission of the company to offer a full selection of anything the home herbalist might need from oils to salts to clays, butters, waxes, essential oils, really anything and everything, kind of a one-stop shop for all the DIY, bath and body care, home creation type things, including containers and even, you know, kitchen, kitchen utensils and things like that. So we really branched out into a large, um, diverse array of high-quality um, materials that anyone can use at home to make whatever creation they, they, they're, they're really inspired by, if that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And so it, it's really interesting to me. So you became really big in the market of a practicing herbalist and also herbal enthusiast. Can you talk a little mm-hmm. bit about your community? 
Absolutely. We, we sell direct to the home herbalists. So we've always been a retail supplier. Um, we're not a large wholesale supplier. We do, we do um, work with some small manufacturers, more, more like home-based businesses, small um, like soap shops and um, breweries and lo- some local restaurants and some health food stores. But we really don't deal in large bulk. We're not in large chain stores um, we we our 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 focus is is supplying the home herbalist. So we ship direct to the consumer, which makes our volume a high volume of small parcels. And um, what we really aim to accomplish is to give direct um, retail to the public, um, high quality materials to the public. That makes a lot of sense. It's interesting. So I have to tell you this every. Uh, winter, I run a class. And so my class is on herbal uh, medicines, herbal supplements for pharmacy students. And so a few years back, I incorporated an assignment and I had mentioned this number of times uh, during this podcast uh, in interviews with others that I asked my students to make different things, to make different <laughs> preparations. And so this year I have a specially big class. I have over 70 students in my class. And so <laughs> what I typically do is when I give them assignment of getting herbs, I actually place the order and it comes from Mountain Rose Herbs. So this year, there were these four humongous boxes that were sitting in front of my office and the whole entire place was smelling like rosemary and lavender and all these wonderful aromatic herbs. And all my pharmacy colleagues were asking, what is it that your students are doing? So you became, your company became very famous on our <laughs> campus because of these boxes and this, uh, these amazing smells that uh, everyone could, could smell in the corridors. That's lovely to hear. Yes, yes. So I, I thought you'd appreciate that. That's wonderful. Thank you. You talked about that you are not selling on a large scale. Uh, how was this decision made uh, that your products will be sold specifically to your customers, to your consumers? How, when did the company actually make this decision? Well, I, just from the birth of the company with Rosemary Gladstar's student list, the focus was always selling botanicals direct to the to the folks that are learning about them and studying them and using them for their own blends their own creations and that never changed it just really grew so we had over the years and decades um, tried out different markets um, we used to do wholesale we used to do international shipping and um, really just you know staying close to our roots and and realizing that the the folks that are our, our repeat customers that are, have been ordering from us from decades are mm-hmm. the home herbalists and, and the folks that are, you know, crafting culinary creations in their own kitchen and making bath and body care products, making their own soaps. And then a lot of these smaller companies that we really truly love that are our wholesale. Um, and we, so we do sell in bulk, but it's not a, a very large wholesale, you know, we're not, we're not treating our materials like a large commodity. We're not doing container loads, but we we do sell in bulk so that small manufacturers and startup companies can still um, procure from us successfully. Um, I think our focus has always been the home herbalist, though, and just really being able to uh, to give a, a large selection of high high quality eclectic materials 
um, to the, to the end great. user. So you several times you mentioned this idea of high quality, and I want you to talk a little bit more about this. So one of the questions that I have for you is how have you developed interactions with farmers and variety of different suppliers? Where do you source your herbs? How do you know who you're sourcing your herbs? Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. That's the main thing that we do. That's really our main pursuit as a company. And what what drives our success um, is, is our long-term relationships with our vendors. And we've been working with the same vendors since the beginning of Mountain Rose Herbs. And of course, we've grown together. A lot of the relationships have become very symbiotic. Um, we do contract farming uh, with people all over the world, um, a lot of domestic farmers here in the United States, many right here in Oregon and California and Washington. Um, so it's very important to us to buy direct and to source the highest quality botanicals available on the market. Um, the m- vast majority of what we sell is certified organic. Um, the only time we will sell things that are not certified organic is if they're not available certified organic and they're never mm-hmm. conventional. Um, we will sell cultivated without chemicals in some instances where things just aren't available. Um, and we'll always do in-house testing for any kind of chemical residues on those. So, um, from the very beginning of the company till now, one of our, our largest pursuits and one of our biggest activities is, is conferencing and networking with our growers, visiting the farms, having long-term relationships They where we actually are, have boots on the ground in, in forests and fields where our herbs are produced all over the world. And um, I'm really proud of our relationships with our farmers. And we have literally grown together um, over the years and because of that, we have really nice material that, that they produce for us and that we do feel prioritized as a customer with many of the producers. That's really, that's really fabulous. And so one of the things that I wanted to kind of piggyback on what you said is the idea of testing. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about this? Because this is not a standard thing, Correct. right? Uh, well, there's some regulations that require us to ensure the safety of our end product. So we have specifications that we do abide by, but we go above and beyond those specifications. And um, we have a very extensive in-house micro lab that we do most of our own testing. And then we do network with several third-party laboratories for um, testing such as heavy metal, heavy metals, pesticides, sulfur, things like that. Um, we're very strict about our identification testing for every single botanical. So we do use an HPTLC m- machine, which is thin layer chromatography, for taking the, f- the, the fingerprint of each botanical that comes in. So we're ensuring that um, it's the species that we ha- say on the label. Um, we abide by the Herbs of Commerce regulation for which species we can sell on the market. And our, the, our director of quality control is, is, a, is a botanist. And really a leader in the field on plant identification. Um, Steven Yeager is his name. And he's really um, set us apart from a lot of other suppliers with his ability to identify and building a a vast library of uh, reference samples of all the different botanicals that we do carry. And he really goes above and beyond to network with botanists all over the world to get really specific references so that we can um, identify them and have a a reliable reference to compare that data to. 
So that's one of the things that we really take a lot of pride in and we've put a lot of investment into. And um, uh, it's, it's wonderful because we are able to identify all of these materials coming in, including blends and including liquid extracts. So even if we're getting like um, our tinctures we make in-house, um, but we're still, even after they're extracted, we're still able to identify, uh, identify them as that specific plant. That's pretty impressive. I know that you carry a lot of botanicals that are cut mm-hmm. and sifted, uh, but you also carry powders. Right. So if you're looking at a flower, you can actually identify mm-hmm. it usually, or at least a little bit mm-hmm. easier. But when it is a powder mm-hmm. in front of you, it's a lot more difficult. And so I never really knew if you are powdering these mm-hmm. herbs yourselves or if it actually is done by the your suppliers. That's right. And powders are tricky, tricky business because you can get, you know, sometimes producers can mix in older materials or B grade materials or maybe things that are more leaf and stem when you're after the flower, like different plant parts. And once it's powdered, it's very difficult to tell exactly what that original um, material started as. And that's an area that we're really specific in because we deal with a lot of powders. Um mm-hmm. So lots to talk about here, but um, I did want to back up for a minute and mention sure. that our organoleptic procedures are first and foremost with our quality control. So we're always bringing in a pre-shipment sample from our suppliers before we make that contract and order. And then once we get the material in, we are sampling it through our quality control staff and comparing that sample uh, against what we had ordered with a team of about eight people that are tasting it, smelling it, um, really criticize, like really being critical about the quality of it and comparing it to what we are currently selling. Now with botanicals, there's a lot of fluctuation. Um, sometimes we do switch vendors. Sometimes we get things from different regions. And then with weather changes and all kinds of variables out there in the world, um, there is a flux between some of the lots. We try to stay consistent, but oftentimes we will diversify our purchases through multiple different regions. We're always buying the material in its whole form, mm-hmm. as whole as we can get it. So even if even though we're selling cut and sifted, we're buying the plant in its whole form. And then we're bringing it in, checking it in, and testing it all through its whole form. Um, we have our own mill here on site where we're cutting and sifting that material um, per our specifications. So a lot of our cut sizes are signature to our product only, and we have mesh sizes um, for each one of our products. And then from that material, we'll powder small amounts um, per our our needs as far as how much we'll sell in a year. So we never want to powder more than six to 12 months worth at a time. And because I have, we have our own mill, we're able to powder small quantities as needed so that we're, we can offer the freshest powder um, as possible. That's really interesting. I actually have a couple of follow-up questions. So so one of them, you said the word organoleptic, and so some of our listeners might not know what it is. So uh, would you be able to tell us what organoleptic means? Absolutely. It's using the senses. So using sight and taste and fragrance and, and the feel of it. So we're actually, you know, touching the herb, we're smelling it, crushing it up, putting it in our mouth, using our own... Um, our own education, our own history, our own relying on our experience and seeing this material come in year after year with every harvest, what it's supposed to look like and what high quality um, means to us. That's, that's wonderful. And I also wanted to stress that 
Sometimes my students would ask me, well, but how would you know if this is chamomile or this uh-huh. is blueberry or this is something else? And so what I want to stress is that for most people, they know they can differentiate between an apple and an orange. And so for a lot of herbalists, it's in a way it's similar because if you are exposed to herbs on a daily basis and you know what chamomile looks like, or you know what lavender looks like, or you know what good rose petals look like, this becomes a lot more, a lot easier. And so if you can talk a little bit about this, that would be great. It's, it is true that, you know, we, we, we have a, a good um, history of seeing these materials and we keep reference samples of every lot that comes in that we could refer to. Plus, we have standards within our quality control department, but it does get tricky. And that's a really good point, because even within one family, there could be um, lookalikes. Um, for instance, Arnica has a false Arnica that organoleptically, the flower looks just like Arnica, Montana, but it's actually a completely different genus and species. And until you look at it under the microscope, um, you can't, it's very difficult to tell the difference. So we rely heavily on microscopy to op- slice open the flower. And um, we have a, a very a vast library of pharmacopoeias that we rely on for reference standards to be able to identify seed structures, flower structures, things like that, that are these very um, specific, you know, specific to that species. So while it may look like chamomile, there, there really are some lookalikes within that species that may not be listed in herbs of commerce and therefore we're not allowed to sell under regulations. And that gets even trickier because it, in some cultures, that species might be perfectly acceptable to use in traditional medicine, but because mm-hmm. it's not listed as a species that we're able to sell in American commerce, we're restricted from selling it. So the vendors might say, well, this is what we've been harvesting, you know, for generations, but it's not listed there. And there's, so there's a lot of real specifics as far as what species we can sell and how to identify that particular plant. That's very, very interesting. So the the whole idea of identification is mm-hmm. usually when I call your company, very often I would be using Latin names, right? Mm-hmm. And so all the herbalists that are working for your company, they're all very familiar with the scientific names. And so I always encourage my own students to be really familiar with the Latin names because you can go to China, you can go to Europe, you can go to the uh, States and you will, if it's the same plant, it will have the same scientific name. Correct. Yeah. And some, some plants will, uh, will be able to sell multiple species and they may change lot to lot and we'll Mm -hmm. always update the website. So the website is always current on what species we're actually selling and what country of origin, because the country of origins can change. Um, but they are always, um, they're always compliant with the, uh, with the herbs of commerce. Okay, great. So two additional questions there. So one, you mentioned that you have your own mill and that you are able to cut your own herbs. And so I want to ask you about this because sometimes when you're purchasing and you're purchasing in bulk, you're thinking the the more the, the, the better, right? But you mentioned something very interesting there that when you are buying these herbs, you're making sure that you're not keeping more than six to 12 months worth of materials. Could you tell us why this is important? Sure. Well, herbs don't generally have a very long shelf life. Some things like resins or tree barks might have, you know, a couple of years. But for things like flowers and leaves, a year at the most. So, 
Um, we usually have one harvest time, which is our time to buy. We buy at the time of harvest and we buy exactly what we need for one year. And that would include all the material we need for our herb tea blends, our tea blends, our spice blends, powders, and cut and sift. Um, some botanicals will sell in two or three forms. We might sell something whole, cut and sift, and powdered. In addition to that, we might have two other cuts, one for spice blends or tea blends. So what one botanical we'll get in whole, we might make make it into four or five different forms in, in um, some cases. So we'll take all of those um, projections, and that's what we contract for. And we may not have an opportunity to purchase that material again until the following harvest. So it's very rare that we um, can buy something more than once unless it's Grown, has different harvest times in different areas of the world, which is which is possible. Um, particularly something like Eastern Europe and American, we have a lot of crossover. So we may get something early coming in from Eastern Europe, and then like a later crop from our American farms, and then we'll we'll have those for our year's supply. Um, so we're very meticulous about uh, projecting exactly what we need so we don't run out of stock, but that we don't overorder and have a lot of excess at the end of the year, um, and then we're in a position to buy it again the following year. It's, it's really very interesting to me, and so you probably won't be able to answer this particular question, but I remember when I was just starting to work with herbs, I had a lot of personal difficulty judging how much I will actually need of the plant mm -hmm. in terms of, okay, how much, uh, I don't know, holy basil do you buy, or how much uh, peppermint do you buy, or how much of elderberries do you buy, so it actually lasts you the season? And so if you have any words of wisdom uh, from your years of experience for, mm -hmm. you know, the, the herb, from the herbalists that have been purchasing, that would be great. But if not, that's totally fine. Yeah, it's a hard one because it really varies herb to herb. And then you may, you may have trouble securing one thing one year and then the next year there's a surplus on it. So our, our reaction would be to overorder or to buy a year mm -hmm. and a half's worth, but then find out that the market's flooded with it. And so, I mean, the, the, the market changes all the time. And we have, luckily, we have um, many years of, of buying history and sales history to see what our customers need. But then things trend. And, you know, we have a restaurant. I remember goji berries one year. It was like you couldn't ever have enough goji berries. Mm -hmm. And then it was the chia seed became really popular. Turmeric is really popular. And now our top seller is Damiana and we're selling more Damiana than we ever have in the past. So each year there's different trends and things become popular and it's really hard to predict that. Um, so we do the best we can. And honestly, it is the reason for some of our out of stocks is these trends that occur in the United States, in the media and just, you know, people, prefer prefer a plant that we just didn't anticipate so we only have so much <laughs> very very interesting very interesting but i can completely understand yeah. so the the other thing that you mentioned a couple of times is that you have your suppliers uh all over the world that's right and so um can you talk a little bit about this aspect of the business that you are actually bringing a lot of materials from different countries and so my other question that I think is somewhat tied to this is the relationships that you formed. You mentioned that you create relationships with the suppliers. And so how 
how do you make it more beneficial to the to the farmers that are growing these things for you and why do they prefer to work with you as a company mm-hmm. does it make sense absolutely yeah that's mm-hmm. a, a large part of what we do mm-hmm. and um it's really important to us to have long-term relationships that are that are not only beneficial but in a way symbiotic where we really are relying on each other as a partnership and we've been successful at, 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 at that all over the world. Um, we source a lot from the United States and we're always encouraging our domestic growers to try experimental crops or things that they may not have tried before that we're getting from Europe or from overseas to see if they're successful here. So a large amount of our materials does come from the United States and then otherwise, we're, we're really selecting where that plant grows best. So in the case of Tulsi, while it does grow great in the United States, it's, it's, it's indigenous to India and um, our Indian farmers grow, grow Tulsi on pretty much every farm as, as, a, um, as a cover crop and also as a kind of a rotational crop. Um, so that's an example. South American herbs we get from South America, Chinese herbs we get from China, African herbs we get from Af- South Africa. So it really depends on what region is growing what and where the heritage is, because um, United States doesn't really have that long of a heritage of growing medicinal crops. And unfortunately, mostly we grow these mono mono crops of soybeans and wheat and, you know, sugar beets. And so we don't quite have this really in-depth history that a lot of the cultures around the world do. Um, the Egyptian farmers have been growing spices for thousands of years, and that's it's generational. So we really source directly where that plant grows best, where the farmers are the most skilled at it, and those are the. And then from that, we have networked extensively with the folks that are growing those plants organically, and then from those, well, what we have over the years just naturally discovered who's the best at what, and and those are the folks that we really forge our relationships with um, and we meet with them and we visit them. And um, some of the, there's many, many things we do to really cultivate these relationships. Uh, as you can imagine, there's a lot of money at stake with them. And some folks, for some farmers, this is their one year, their one, their annual harvest. And um, it might be the only harvest that they have. And so if there is a quality problem or if there happens to be, a hold at our port or an F or a rejection. Oftentimes we'll absorb the cost for, for things like that. Um, we pay for the freight. We handle a lot of um, the expenses. And if there's problems, oftentimes to support our growers, we'll, we'll, we'll pay for fallout or in the unfortunate case of a rejection um, because of a quality issue. Um, sometimes we'll split the cost or we'll, you know, make up for it somewhere else. So we never just abandon our growers. We always are very upfront with our requirements and our specifications through lots of documentation. Um, we are getting pre-shipment samples for all the materials, sometimes a year in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're doing pre-shipment sample testing with for pesticides, heavy metals, sulfur, and we absorb all the costs for that. We very rarely, if ever, pass those costs on to our farmers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we have more capability of doing testing than some of our suppliers do. So we handle a lot of that testing, which is quite expensive. And that really sets us both up for success. So we know what they're selling and then we'll give them feedback. And over the years, and some of these projects take many years before we even see a return on them, um, we'll give them feedback to help them become more successful. 
um, and to help them produce higher quality material so that they can get a higher price for it and that we can buy more. And so we're always trying to help people succeed and, um, and give them a lot of honest feedback and in the, often in the form of, of detailed scientific reports. That's that's very, very interesting. Jennifer, I want to bring you back one step. So um, our listeners might hear uh, words such as organic or cultivated or wild harvested. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between them? Because this is something that is norm or very uh, common in your world, but it's probably not to someone who is listening to this podcast and might not know the differences between these things. Absolutely. Sure. So um, certified organic botanicals is what we specialize in. And that means that the plants were grown in an organic environment with no chemical application. So no fungicides, herbicides, or synthetic fertilizers were used. And the certified organic has very strict regulations that are governed by the NOP, which is the National Organic Program. So it's federally, there's federal oversight. And then underneath the NOP, there's many different certifying bodies that are these third-party auditors that must abide by the federal regulations, but they're employed by the producer to oversee the certification. Um, ours is Oregon Tilth, and they're actually located here in Oregon, and they have some of the strictest, strictest regulations in the country for organic. So our facility is, is inspected yearly and certified, as well as our producers. Now, our producers are able to use any... Um, certifying body that they choose as long as they're in compliance with the NOP, the National Organic Program. Okay. So it's a, it's a matrix, matrix of regulations that's ensuring that the producers are not only growing the plants without um, chemical inputs, but that the, the, the pre- and post-harvesting ha um, handling practices as well as the facilities, the packaging, Everything that touches that botanical is free and clear of chemicals. Okay, great. And what about the wild uh, cultivation versus wild harvesting? Mm -hmm. No, so wild cultivation and wild harvesting is pretty uh, well. Wild harvesting is is harvesting plants from the wild, from their their native habitats, and um, that's a practice that m much of the world engages in. So a lot of countries all over the world have have vast um, histories and, and traditions in, in wild collecting, wild harvesting plants, which can be used interchangeably. A lot of our Eastern European plants um, are listed as certified organic, but they're actually uh, collected from the wild. And that's accomplished by tracts of land or sometimes private land that's certified organic, but it's actually wild land. So the certifying bodies still need to be able to go out and watch and, and GPS coordinate the plots that the material is coming from, ensure that there's no aerial spraying, there's no chemical residues, there's no chemical runoff from, from industry, et cetera, and they can get that land certified organic. So certified organic doesn't always mean cultivated. It can mean wild harvested. And then oftentimes wild harvested, come, we, we, do, we do deal with some wild harvested material that's non-organic. If that's the case, we're always testing it for pesticides and herbicides. Um, and then there's another term, cultivated in the wild, which I call forest farming. Mm -hmm. And that's when we're the, the growers, usually on private land, are actually tending wild stands where they're propagating the plants that grow natively 
in their environment with seed or root divisions and tending them that way. That's great. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thing that I know we uh, discussed a little bit earlier is a couple of the projects that you are currently involved mm-hmm. in. Could you talk a little bit about them? Sure, um, absolutely. Our, our fair trade project in India is a really large project we've been involved with since 2008. Um, and we have a very large growing group, producer group in southern India. It, it, it covers 136 different farms. And wow. so these are small farms. They're usually um, individually owned and usually small parcels, maybe a few a few acres, um, sometimes a little bit larger. And they, per, they consolidate their material to be able to supply us with larger quantities. So we um, got the idea a while back to... Um, to encourage a fair trade project, which would allow oversight um, with the projects and and basically have a third party auditor kind of go in to help to help smooth out some of the um, financial difficulties that they may have been having, and also to in- increase um, fair trade practices at the farm level as far as safety, um, sanitary conditions, and equal pay. Mm-hmm. And so we paid for that project with our producer group and they were, they were very on board with it. They were really, um, really welcoming of the project because cr- right out of the gate, it really created a lot of positive changes. And it also formed um, a, a pretty solid partnership where we were investing in their future and we're investing in upgrades at the farm level, such as rainwater collection and water purification and sinks and things like that, um, training, all kinds of things, education and, um, and fair wages, and that we were in, in exchange willing to pay more for that material and also pay a premium, which is the heart of fair trade. So it's an extra amount of money that goes directly to the farmer that they can use um, to, for upgrades at, their, at the farm level. And so when you're saying that you are paying premium, this is not typically what happens, right, in well, other with, companies? With fair trade, it is the heart of fair trade. So mm-hmm. when you see that fair trade label, it means that they're paying for that material, plus they're paying an extra amount of sum of money that's called it's called a premium, and that gets audited so that it goes directly to the farming group. Mm-hmm. Um, now, not... A lot now. Fair trade started with coffee and chocolate, so it's you don't see it too much in the herbal trade business. Um, but we really um, felt that there's a lot of benefits to working with fair trade suppliers. We do have some other fair trade suppliers in in South America, um, but the the project in India was was quite um, it was it was quite a, a big one for us because we really kind of took it on as a mandator where we were partnering with our growers and it was kind of risky because a lot of the farmers hadn't heard of it before and they weren't sure what it meant and they didn't want to, um, I guess they just weren't certain of, of what the long-term implications would be. But now that we're deeply into the project, we've seen a lot of success with it and a lot of farmers that um, even like their neighboring growers have caught on to it and wanted to participate because they're seeing the benefits of it. That's wonderful. And so what is the second project? You um, mentioned, yep, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. The, the forest grown project is completely different than the fair trade project, but um, it's more working with woodland medicinals, um, woodland botanicals that are at risk. 
that are, you know, at, at risk of being over harvested in the wild or have been over harvested in the wild um, here in the United States. And there's a demand on them by the medicinal herb companies. Um, and it's, it's a special project where we're encouraging landowners to cultivate the material and to steward it on their land through a technique called forest farming, where they're actually propagating the material and replanting it or reseeding it. And there's, again, a third party auditor involved that's overseeing that production so that we have uh, a yearly audit. And we're actually aud also audited on what we're buying and how we're handling it through our organization and that, um, you know, what we're bringing our, our receiving our receiving records match up with our sales records, which match up with how much they're producing. Um, the project was began with American ginseng. Um, and it was used as a prototype for some of the other woodland botanicals, such as golden seal, blue cohosh, black cohosh, and ramps. Mm -hmm. And so that's been a very slow coming, slow and going project, but one that we feel is incredibly important because it's really investing in our woodland botanicals here in the United States, namely American ginseng, which has been very much over harvested. And um, as a result of that project, we really realized the importance of drawing attention to American ginseng and creating a domestic interest in that botanical here so that herbalists have a, a means of, of purchasing a sustainable source and an ethical source because prior prior to this, we believe it was kind of seen as a taboo plant um, and an untouchable and in many ways it is. But with some of our cultivation projects, we're able to provide it in a really ethical and sustainable manner and hoping that over the years it really catches on and that there's a growing interest in protecting these important plants. Such an amazing and such an important work. So thank you so much for sharing it. Thank you. So as a paradigm, we encourage a lot of our growers to cultivate plants mm -hmm. that have been traditionally wild harvested, especially things that are roots or slow growing or perhaps um, at risk or um, potentially could be at risk in the future. So things where, you know, plants where there's a lot of pressure put out on them. Um, we're looking for, for people that are willing to cultivate and sometimes invest in long-term projects such as golden seal, for instance, that's not widely cultivated. Um, but we, we, we're always trying to encourage and support sometimes financially, sometimes with different resources and education and um, our skills, our in-house skills to, um, you know, really work with people to bring, bring wild harvested materials into cultivation. That's wonderful. Thank you. So Jennifer, if you looked uh, at your earlier history of the company, uh, or perhaps now, what are some of the challenges that you have overcame, um, and maybe continually overcoming uh, through the years? Sure. Um, well, our largest challenge there's several, but over the years, I think personally, it's been a growth and unregulated growth where we grew at a really quick rate. We, we experienced um, growth that was somewhat unsustainable for us because um, we had a smaller facility at the time uh, about 10 years ago, and we just quickly outgrew it. So it was just keeping up with our own growth with infrastructure and, and, qual and staffing and training. Um, has been our biggest challenge. And we have ha had pulled back um, on our business model quite a bit. We, we stopped doing international sales and we stopped doing large-scale large, large scale, um, wholesale, even though the demand was there 
um, to basically control our own growth so that we could um, prioritize our quality and always maintain our customer source that was most important to us, which is the home herbalist and our direct consumer. So um, we we had to make some hard decisions over the years to really cut cut sales, basically, to basically uh, control our own growth so that we could – we could, um, you know, get into facilities that weren't too big for us or that weren't too overwhelming and, and that suited us. That's so that, that's been the biggest, biggest challenge, I think. Very, very interesting. So where do you think the company is likely to be uh, in the future, perhaps 10 years from now? I, I hope that we're just similar to where we are now. Okay. Um, you know, another major a major uh, challenge is is regulations, and I'm sure anyone else that's in the herbal industry knows knows that there's many layers of regulations that we're having to do, to contend with over the years, and they just get stricter and harder and more expensive to comply with. And we do a really good job at it, but it's a, a large part of our resources and a large part of our efforts go towards keeping up with the ever growing challenging of regulations and. And claims was a big one. Um, we really had to scrub our website and all of our materials from what we were able to say and information we were able to put out to our customers. And that was a major paradigm shift for us because coming from a place back when Rosemary Gladstar was selling to her students, it was about educating about the plants and what they're used for and what their traditional uses are and you know how to make certain combinations and dosages and things like that. And none of that we're able to provide. So um, that's, that was a big change for us over the years. And, um, and, and we're very much in compliance with those regulations, but it's, it's a constant challenge. So I would say in 10 years, um, just continuing to grow our vendor base, our farmers working more with American farms to expand their capabilities here in the United States. I'd like to see more cultivation projects, for wild harvested material here in the United States and um, to grow our forest grown um, program. And um, we'll, we will probably expand operations slowly and gradually as, as demand, um, as we grow, well, you know, our, our, our operations expand and grow. So I'm um, staying true to our roots, continuing to offer a diverse line of botanicals, and doing it well. And you are truly doing it very well. So um, I know that you spoke about the website, and your website is a very rich resource, still remains a very rich re- resource. And I also appreciate the collaboration with a lot of educational institutions in the herbal medicine world that they also show how some of your products can be utilized and how to, to make certain things utilizing mountain rose uh, herbs. So <laughs> even though perhaps it's not coming directly from you, but a lot of herbalists that are using your products are, are doing this. So, yeah. but I do know that you have uh, educational endeavors that the company is involved in, and I know something like Free Herbalism Project is something that you have been uh, contributing to. Could you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about that? Absolutely, our Free Herbalism Project has been ongoing for several years now, and it's a way for us to bring education into our immediate community. And honestly, it was an answer to the restriction of claims. Since we weren't able to speak about our plants, we felt really strongly about bringing experts in the area to be able to speak about them for us. So we have these wonderful 
um, educational seminars here in this, in uh, Mount Pisgah area, which is a beautiful outdoor um, uh, ecological area that um, we host herbalists from all over the country to speak about their specialties. And it's, it's grown in, in um, popularity and we get a great turnout for it. And we produce podcasts based on that and really are able to promote some wonderful uh, minds and some expertise. That's fabulous. So can you tell our listeners where they can find some of these recordings? Through our blog. Okay. Through, through our blog, the Mountain Rose Herbs blog. Um, we have archives there as well as our website. Perfect. It, Perfect. it has its own tab there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I will definitely take a look at it and I will include these in the show notes. Can you uh, tell our listeners how do they find you, whether it is your home on the internet or perhaps social media? Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Well, we're really active on YouTube. We have many great videos. There's a, specifically a video on um, essential oils that just came out that really goes into the quality of our essential oils. That's new. Um, we have a wild crafting video that talks about the forest grown program. Um, we have a company video that talks about our history and our roots. Um, we have a quality control video. So that's all available on our YouTube station. Um, we also have, uh, we're very active on Facebook and we have our own blog, which has really interesting stories specifically about our vendors and our trips abroad. So recently, um, we, uh, we posted a trip about our, uh, excuse me, a story about our trip to Italy and our passion flower growers there. And it shows photos of our rose harvesters in, in Italy and, um, I'm about to produce uh, a story this month on uh, my recent trip to Bulgaria and some of the crops that we saw being um, harvested there, specifically juniper berry. We try to connect our vendors to our audience, and we do that by going and interviewing them, telling stories, sending, taking photos, and, and really showcasing the plants that they're growing well and to provide those stories to our customers. That is wonderful. And I will uh, make sure to include the links, different links to different uh, channels and your blog in the mm-hmm. show notes as well. Thanks. So, Jennifer, as we are coming to an end of this conversation, I want to ask you, perhaps you can uh, tell us what is an average person should think about when they're thinking about mountain rose herbs? I'm really proud of the fact that we've put a lot of energy into our sources. We know where our material is coming from. We know who's producing it, how they're producing it. And we've hand-selected sources around the world for the last 25 years. So um, there's a lot of traceability in the materials that we offer. And then there's a lot of oversight as far as the quality from the producer all the way through the finished bottle. So... um, that's something we really truly go above and beyond to do for our customers. And I believe that's what sets us apart from a lot of other um, manufacturers. And it's also a strong foundation for our success as a company, despite the challenges in the marketplace these days, which are many. Um, so I really feel really proud of that. We work very hard for that. We, we, um, we spend a lot of time and research on how, how, to, how to do this well and how to bring these plants to market that we feel are really important botanicals. Um, we don't scale down our product list. We figure out how to get these species available and the right species and to identify them and to store them, package them, produce them properly for each individual ingredient. We sell over 6,000 SKUs, um, and that's a quite a large 
a large a product line and it's it's a challenge to handle them in house because we have all these different divisions from liquid extraction to blending to herbal oils etc but our staff is amazing and they've been doing it for a really long time so we have a lot of seasoned people here that are able to that bring a lot of expertise to the table um, so we're skilled at that and it's something I, I see us continuing um, as far as words of wisdom though I, I suggest that people um, experiment with different things. Maybe try something, you know, that they're not used to, like a different hydrosol or, you know, a, a different tea that I think there's just such a world of botanicals out there. And we, we have our preferences and things that we like, but there's so much more to it. And I'm still discovering things all the time that I haven't tried in a while or, you know, discovering how to use um, and I think another really important thing is if you're able to to grow plants yourself, um, to grow it from seed, to have a garden, to, you know, there's nothing better than, and we sell the best botanicals on earth, and I truly believe that, but there's nothing better than growing your own plants and or, or your own tea plants or spices in your own garden if you're able to do that. So um, I encourage everybody to try try that. And we have a wonderful seed selection. There's a company here in Williams, Oregon called Strictly Medicinals, and they have a most amazing array of, of medicinal and also edible seeds. Their website is strictlymedicinals.com, and um, their website is a, is, a, is a treasure trove of resources. So I highly recommend them as a resource. Thank you. Jennifer, thank you so much. Thank you for your knowledge, for your amazing expertise, and for your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. It's my honor. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Jennifer Garrity. As I promised earlier, Mountain Rose Herbs was very gracious to offer two $50 gift certificates for shopping on their website. To get enrolled into a raffle for the gift certificates, please head over to your podcast platform of choice and write a review for Wellness Insider Network. I read every single one of them and greatly appreciate you leaving them. Please take a screenshot of your review, even if you left it earlier, and send it to support at lanacamille.com. I will randomly select and announce two winners in a couple of weeks. You can find all the links and instructions mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 67. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you.